This is the Sell My Business in 10 Weeks.com podcast with Trevor Monaghan and Clive Jones. In this series, we will make fun of each other and share some of our self proclaimed wisdom about understanding what your business is worth now, how to make it worth more, and how to get it ready for sale. Welcome back to the Sell My Business in 10 Weeks.com podcast. I'm Trevor Monaghan. And I'm Clive Jones. Welcome, everyone. Okay, good day to everyone that's uh, regular listeners. And if you haven't listened to us before, I think this is our, what is it, our third podcast? Yep. Of about a million, depending how things go. Um, for those who, who this is your first podcast, we'll just have a bit of a background on, on who we are, why we're doing what we're doing right now. Um, my name's Trevor Monaghan. I'm a chartered accountant, and I own an accounting firm based in Newcastle, servicing people all around Australia, um, mostly servicing entrepreneurs and those types of people. And I'm Clive Jones, I'm a business coach with Action Coach and uh, I service at the moment around 20 clients, helping them uh, put their business in the right sort of shape so they can get uh, the best value from it. We started this podcast a while back uh, due to, I guess, observations in the marketplace. I do a lot of business valuations as part of what I do and, and Clive helps people get their businesses ready for sale and over and over we just keep seeing people either A, not even thinking about um, strategy or how to go about selling their business or B, going in getting advice from people that weren't qualified to give advice. Um, we've got nothing against business brokers but um, they certainly do serve a purpose at the right time, but we still see a lot of people saying, you know, I'm ready to sell the business, effectively hand their keys over to the broker and, and list it like a house. Uh, that's why we've, we've basically created this podcast, and the podcast is Sell My Business in 10 weeks.com. And it's not because we're actually professing that everyone should sell the business in 10 weeks. Uh, we're just trying to find a catchy name that could really break it down for people that there is, you know, with our clients, we generally have a 10 week or a 10 stage process, which, um, we would use which goes through the big milestones you need to be ticking off as you approach the sale. Is that right, Clive? And by no means, uh, many of the businesses that I come across, there's no way that you get it ready in 10 weeks, so don't uh, get yourself under that false misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah, but there is there is definitely about 10 steps you need to take, um, and so the whole idea of this podcast is to educate you around, you know, what are those steps? What are the what is the psychology behind the steps? Which is the stuff I'm really interested in because any kind of buying and selling is all around psychology. Uh, and then try to give you some useful, practical tools by you know letting you in on the jargon that's used and getting to understand stuff so that you can't get bamboozled by brokers or by a potential purchaser or seller. And also to understand how to prepare yourself for that eventuality when the time comes rather than leaving it till that last minute and then thinking, holy moly, I've got a, a bucket load of work to do now to actually uh, get some a real return from, from all those years' hard labour that I put in. Yeah, but before we, you know, you, the emotion's important, but before you let the emotions get a, get a, get a hold of you and, and take control, you need to know the fundamentals. So on the last podcast, we talked about how to how to value a business. We talked about what is profit, and then we talked about why that profit is probably not the right number to value the business on. There was a few adjustments we'd make to that. In the last podcast, we shared a, a couple of adjustments there. And we talked about the capitalization rate, which is all about risk. We did, and this week, I think you promised to explain arbitrage to us. 
Okay, so this is like this is the thing. We last last week we showed you how to by reducing the perceived risk get evaluation from nine hundred thousand to one point five million dollars. Um, this year we're going to show you, or sorry, this this year this podcast we're going to show you how to go from one point five to six point five. Now, this is a bit of a jump, obviously, in terms of the numbers. It's also a jump in terms of thinking. Um, and what I want to share with you today is how to actually do that, you know, and what we what we call that when that happens. Um, so on the last podcast, if you haven't if you haven't listened to that one, it's probably a good time to go back um, and download that one either through iTunes uh, or through sellmybusinessin10weeks.com. Listen to that. There's also a handout there that goes through a few different scenarios. We're going to go through the third scenario today. So go to sellmybusinessin10weeks.com, download the, the report. It's just a one-page PDF. Don't need to give us your details for that. Just download it straight from the notes section underneath the podcast and you can follow along with the numbers. If you don't have the computer in front of you, that's okay. We'll try to go through slowly so you still get it without seeing the numbers in front of you. Okay, so arbitrage. Now, I'm gonna give you the Wikipedia definition of arbitrage, um, and then I'm gonna give you what you need to know because it's a bit confusing. So arbitrage, in economics and finance, arbitrage is the practice of taking advantage of a price difference between two or more markets. Striking a combination of matching deals that capitalize upon the imbalance, the profit being the difference between the market prices. So it goes on and on and on for pages. But what it's basically saying there is it's an opportunity where the price of something in two different markets is different for some usually an artificial reason. So how would that happen, Trevor? How could that happen? And, and to give you an idea in a broader sense in, in, in finance, it's where... You, you know, if you look at the cross rates of um, exchange rates, if you if you can go and buy, if you're in a got Australian dollars, you can go buy US dollars and then sell those US dollars, and you know get into the euro. That would end up with you having a certain amount of euro. Um, it should work if arbitrage wasn't possible. It should work. You could just go and buy euro now and have the same result. But what happens is there's always these timing differences in in those kind of markets where there's transaction costs. And there's always time, you know, could be minutes, literally minutes before systems update across the world. And if you can get in there and if you can beat that system, uh, then they call that an arbitrage. There's no real gain other than you've got an artificial timing benefit in most cases or because you're playing in two different markets at once. How, how this relates to business valuations is we, we, we talked about last week that a lot of the things in a business valuation are to do with the perception of the buyer. Okay, Clive. So, how do you think that relates to, to arbitrage? Then, Clive. So, so what, what we're talking about in in relation to selling a business using arbitrage is is finding the the buyer that is going to find your business more appealing and, and a better fit to there. So that's you know we use the term strategic. Yeah, uh, exactly. So they're, they're looking to buy your business potentially, or so a business like yours, so that they can uh, swallow it up into theirs and get some. Uh, major benefits from the work that you've done so yeah, far. Yeah, so in the last in the last podcast, we talked a lot about what a business valuation isn't. And I guess one thing we didn't specifically say is a business isn't worth what it's worth to you. So what I mean by that, just because you think your business is worth something to you, and it may be you know, providing that kind of financial benefit to you now, that has nothing to do with what someone else will pay for your business. Because it's not about you. It's about what that business, what your business is going to do for them. Okay, so 
by definition then um, there is no one-stop shops business valuation that suits all circumstances so re- you really have to put your put your sh- yourself in the shoes of a potential buyer so I know when I do a business valuation uh, for one of my clients I am not doing it for my client I'm, I'm trying to predict who is going to be a likely buyer and yeah. then doing it from their point of view so and I'm actually going through the exercise right now with one of my clients where we're looking from the flip side at buying another business because they can um, basically swallow it into their machine and uh, reduce some of the expenses involved in the, the business they're looking at buying. So they can capitalise and, and, and improve very quickly on the return that they would be getting um, on the new business that they're looking at buying. Okay, because there's things like economies of scale and efficiencies that you pick up uh, or certain buyers can use that when they buy your business, they can run it better than you did. So, and what you're looking at is you, you're looking for a buyer that can make more money on your exa- on the exact same way you run your business effectively with the same resources, can make more money than you do. Now, and you also, if you've got a choice between chasing two different buyers, you're chasing the buyer that can make the most from your business structure because um, everything else being equal, they'll pay more for you. So. What I'm going to show today is really just, okay, so it's all well and good that I can say that, that's great, and there's a, there's many more conversations we're going to be having about finding the strategic buyer, but today I just want to talk about what the financial implications can be for something like an arbitrage. So if you remember back from the last podcast, business valuation is simply working out what your, your ongoing profits are multiplied by a capitalization rate, and the capitalization rate is determined by perception of risk. The higher the risk, the lower the rate, and it's all about the perception of risk. What I'm going to show you today is that I'm going to leave the capitalization rate exactly where it is. So we're not talking here about finding someone that for some reason sees less risk in our business. I'm going to leave that variable as it is. I'm going to look at the profits, purely the profits. But this is the, the big but, but I'm not going to actually change the profit. So I know that sounds a bit counterintuitive. I'm going to leave the capitalization rate exactly where it is. I'm going to leave the actual profit where it is, and I'm going to multiply the value of this business massively. So, how, how, how does that work, Trevor? How that works is that if, if you remember from the the last podcast, when we look at net profit, it's not the net profit for the from the financial statements that we use in, in evaluation. Okay, we're making a series of adjustments to that profit to make it what we'd call a, a normalised profit or a real profit, yep. a commercial profit, and we're taking things out that aren't. Um, of a commercial nature that are artificial. So we talked last yeah. time about the stuff in there that we, we put in there just because we can for the tax man, uh, yeah. an additional car, you know, some expenses that don't really relate to the business. We, we effectively do what we call add them back. So we're a- adjusting the profit. Um, we, we use this term called future maintainable earnings, which is really just what we think the profit is going to be ongoing once you take all that artificial rubbish out. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about arbitrage, we're looking for... Uh, that opportunity where can someone can come in and there's, there's two ways they can go. They can make more revenue on that same business model for some reason, which is which is which usually means a bit more work, so we usually wouldn't go down that path. The second way is that they don't have to spend as much money, so their expenses are less to make that revenue. Okay, so, the, so that's, that's where I'm talking about you swallowing your business up into yes, their machine. Exactly, exactly. Now, I've, I've been involved in a number of uh, real life buy and sell transactions through my own career, and and the best ones are always where there's some element of swallowing up. So there's some 
it's either they can use a certain amount of economies of scale and and not need all of your overheads um, or they are seeing you as the last piece of the puzzle for them to consolidate what they've already got so there's really two ways to go about it. either way is fine the example i'm going to show you today is this more of the swallowing up so in in this example we, we said this is an engineering business so let's let's just assume this is a local you know fairly um in terms of geography they don't service a very large um area and we've got a larger player coming and having a look at this business now this other larger player hasn't got its teeth sunk into this particular area yet this is this for me my, my you know it's my appetite's beginning getting really aroused here because there's going to be a lot of value here from the buyer's point of view. So they've got perhaps a little bit of a niche in, a, yeah. in the marketplace. So there's potentially a niche. It could be it could be a, a product niche. It could be a type of a level of service niche. Some machinery. Or, or it could just typically be they're just well known in a particular region. And, and rather than this big, you know, say it was a big conglomerate thing like a Bunnings or something. It's not. But so if it was, maybe they're looking at, well, we can either advertise to pick up that work and basically be a competitor and still work through advertising, which is anyone that's done advertising knows how expensive that is, or they can just go and buy effectively the right to use the branding and, and buy the existing relationships. And, and often what would happen, because you might be thinking, how do you buy a relationship? Well, you have the, the old you know, um, directors come on board for a time and they make sure all the, the, the customers are happy for that period, whether it be yep. one, two, or five years. So when I say buy customers, you can never buy a customer. Um, don't ever say that to a customer that you've bought them. Uh, but you can you can be strategic about trying to maintain that relationship post-sale. So in this example, um, from the numbers here, you can see we had $4 million in sales. We had a cost of goods sold of 40%, which means we had a gross profit of $2.4 million. So looking at scenario two, which is the one we went through last time, they had $2 million in overheads which gave a net profit of $400,000. After the adjustments, it was an adjusted profit profit or a future maintainable earnings of 300,000. We used their capitalization rate of five times, that gave us a $1.5 million valuation. Not a bad valuation for, for what this business um, is. Now, if you look at the differences, the only thing I'm changing is the level of overheads in scenario three. So still $4 million revenue. So we're not saying we're gonna make more sales or the, we're not, the buyer's not coming in thinking they're going to make more sales. Although they might also be thinking that, that's not the reason for the calculation. The cost of goods are exactly the same. So we're not mm-hmm. saying there's any economies of scale in producing the goods, ordering the stuff, getting the stuff out of the door. So the gross profit is still the same. But if you look in the overheads, we've got it down from $2 million to $1 million. It's so a fairly major reduction. It's a fairly major reduction, but um, this kind of stuff can be typical when, when there is some kind of swallowing up. So Clive, you know, you're a business coach, you get you roll your sleeves up and get involved in the day-to-day operations. So in that type of scenario, we've just drawn the picture of um, how could you see the overheads? Well, Where, what are they likely to be? To start with, there's, there's straight efficiencies that one business has, and they can see that uh, potentially your business might have those might not have those efficiencies, but more so um, it could be the staffing, you know, the accounting and more uh, administrative type support in, in the business that you have. Could be the rent, you know, you bring, bring uh, all the business under, under the one roof. So there's uh, all sorts of ancillary expenses as you've seen on your uh, P&Ls that um, if somebody else took over the business, you could wipe those out straight away. So if you had, if you look at your own business, pull out your own profit and loss statement, and you'll have your expenses section there after your gross profit. And I guess what Clive's saying there is go through there and start putting a line through things that if you're eaten up by a very large player that had excess resources, 
what kind of things they wouldn't need to spend money on. Um, you know, is it a, is do you have a, a mobile sales team where they could just apply their own sales team that have some spare capacity? Is it um, I think Clive, you said there like locations, offices, kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, do you have a little regional office there that they, they don't need? They can service that from head office. Um, is there a particular type of advertising or publication that you support, or mm-hmm. you know, do you spend hundred thousand dollars a year getting a newsletter out? Whether you could just use theirs now. That's right. Um, you, one thing you said there, Clive, is is inefficiencies. Mm-hmm. So how how would them seeing so, you being inefficient actually make you worth more? Because it sounds, sounds counterintuitive to me. It. it um, because they know that they can introduce some efficiencies straight into your business, some systems that they already have that they can apply that would make your business work a whole lot smoother than it does because uh, so many smaller businesses just don't have the uh, the uh, wherewithal or the structure already established, which is what I spend a fair chunk of time doing, is making sure that the business has you know, checklists, uh, procedure manuals, um, all sorts of things in place to make sure that the business can run efficiently, as so, efficiently as it can. Okay, so I'm trying to put my shoes into someone to listen to this. One minute we're saying you need a lot of uh, improvements made to get capitalization rate up, mm-hmm. to get the perception of risk down. Um, and now we're saying that um, being some really good opportunities to improve the efficiency after you've sold will make it worth more at the sale level. So just, I, I think I understand where you're coming from. Just, just for our listeners out there that don't do this every day, how how could those two things exist at the same time? How could, on one hand, we're saying get all your systems in a row, like improve them, get all your ducks in a row, mm-hmm. and then you're saying uh, make sure that other people can see improvements potentially to be made in the future. How do they two coexist? Most, mostly through economies of scale. Okay. Um, but uh, in, in the meantime, whilst you're running the business, you want to run as efficiently as you can to improve your productivity and your profitability because that's another part of the equation. So is the takeaway from this, even if you're not going to spend the time to make those efficiency gains yourself, it would be worthwhile in your pitch document, your information memorandum, whatever you put together to show potential purchases, is that you identify the things that you've, um, I guess, identified that a, a potential buyer like that could implement from that's day correct. one. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. So I guess that's that brings Plus another also whole. the reduction of the risk in them taking the business over. Okay, so it brings a whole angle to this. You don't necessarily so if you identify that you could massively reduce the perceived risk by implementing some systems, maybe or some software, for example, software is always a good one. But that software was going to cost a hundred thousand dollars to roll out. Uh, maybe you didn't have a hundred thousand dollars. But if you developed a business plan and your pitch document, your information memorandum talked about almost a guarantee that spending that $100,000 was going to return X in returns of efficiency, then you could still get some of the benefit of that efficiency from the potential buyer because they can almost see it being there even though it's not there. Correct. Beautiful. Okay. So this is, I guess this comes more to the planning side because it's no good you just knowing um, that efficiencies could be developed or could be, you know, implemented in the business. You've got to actually articulate that. That's correct. Yeah. Okay, that's that's good. I was getting a bit and, worried. And, an, and another area is, you know, if you if you've put systems in place for for tracking clients, for you know, a, a, a simple one would be the database. If, yep. if you've actually got a system in place and you're you're controlling things there, and a prospective buyer can say, okay, I can use that to good um, to get a good return out of. Yeah, you've got something there that they can use straight away. 
So I guess the whole thing here is you do not want to be giving people, no one wants to buy something that's already perfect. It's a bit of the thing, like if you're on eBay, um, you don't necessarily want the perfect thing, especially if you're going to take that thing and do something with it. Um, look at look at um, real estate, for example. You don't go and buy the best house. Well, some do, but uh, <laughs> some, some uh, look for the renovation so they can... Yeah, the smart the smart players from what you hear if you watch enough of the shows and I'm no I'm no real estate expert but they buy the thing you know the worst house in the best street because they see the most upside so but you know in a business you don't want to be selling a dog you want to be selling something that's that's making money it's reducing the risk and even if it doesn't have the efficiencies you want to make sure the buyer can see it's almost risk free in getting those efficiencies in place so there's a plan there's an implementation plan okay so back to the numbers so with reducing those overheads, so we've, we've pretty much proven how it could happen. You could find all those efficiencies. You could swallow up a lot of the, the um, inefficiencies and you could use a lot of the, the head office resources to reduce a you know, million dollars worth of those expenses, which- so in, 50% of the overheads yeah. are gone. In my experience, that's not totally unrealistic in the scenario that we've talked about because the head office does a lot of stuff. The head, of, head office has always got spare capacity if they prioritize what they're doing. But that brings their net profit to $1.4 million. Now, unfortunately, you can't just make a few changes and make $1.4 million in your business because you don't have those head office resources. And this is what we're talking about. The business will never, if not in the, in the short term, unless something happens to the revenue, won't make $1.4 million for you. But from day one for the potential purchaser, it could make $1.4 million. This is the arbitrage. Your business is worth so much more to someone else than it is to you. Okay, now, this is this is the thing we've got to play on. So when we look at the valuation then, even after those adjustments for the addbacks and, and deductions for wages and the private expenses, we've now got a future maintainable earnings or adjusted profit of $1.3 million. It's the same business. Have the customers changed, Clive? No. So I, I, I can hear a lot of people saying now, where do I find these people, Trevor? <laughs> well, they're out there. They're out there. The thing is that they don't necessarily come finding you uh, unless you go looking for them first. And the thing is, we're not changing the capitalization rate. Capitalization rate is five times on adjusted profit of 1.3 gives $6.5 million valuation. So you can see there, we've done nothing but found a different type of buyer or a specific type of buyer. We've gone from 1.5 to $6.5 million. The effective multiplier is a 22 times multiplier based on what, what, your, what our future maintainable earnings was before. Okay, so if you wanna get a multiplier of 22 times, you need to find a fairly, a fairly serious buyer that needs what you've got. Okay, so so how do you make them need what you've got? It comes back to marketing, Clive. It comes back to the theory behind this stuff is no different to selling your product. So that's right. If you're advising a client, a client, a product. What's a product? A client <laughs> on a product, um, and maybe they're selling something. Let's have something generic like um, uh, motorbikes. Okay, so they they're motorbike um, salesperson or a motorbike uh, retailer. They've got three or four different brands. A bit of competition in the street. Uh, how do you how do you go about trying to shift motorbikes? Is it the process you go through? You know, mm. who is you know? Don't you have to find out who your market is? That's right. You, you need to find out difference. what they need, what they want. Um, we're not trying to convince people that to want something that, that they don't want, but we're trying well, to find motorbikes better than yeah. Where the are the ones. what is the need? Where's the where's the gap in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to really um, get people motivated to see the benefit in what you're delivering. 
No different, and we'll talk a lot on, on future podcasts about marketing because we're both obsessed with it. It's just that this is probably one of the biggest sales you'll ever make. This is the biggest sale, and, and people want, and obviously there's a lot of risk. Someone paying potentially $6.5 million, there's going to be a lot more risk involved to them. There's going to be a lot more checks and balances. They're going to do a lot of due diligence. Um, they're going to have certain things in the contract and we'll talk about this at a later stage but there's going to be we'll explain due diligence at mm. a later stage yep. too so yep. there's going to be clawbacks and retentions which means if they don't get the benefit of those potential improvements you're going to get less for your business in the end so they might only pay you a down payment and then have an adjustment in one or one or three years times um, and you know there's all these things that will happen differently now because it's such a high, high dollar value transaction but at the end of the day it comes back to again finding this person. This person is the the person out there that you could identify that has a massive need to have what you've got. That's it, and that's how every business should start. It doesn't start with the product and then pushing on someone. It's about identifying that marketplace. So, for example, Clive, let's just run through a scenario. So, I'm an engineering business. I've identified already that I've got a certain niche in an area. I think there's other national. Um, competitors out there that could definitely make more money than I'm making in this niche because Mm -hmm. a lot of what I'm doing could be plugged straight into their business. Because they have a similar aligned target market to the one that we'll we'll deal with. Okay, so what's what's the first thing that you do? Um, What is the first thing you're trying to identify um, when you're going to launch a product, going to launch something? We'd have to have a a really good um, database and understand what, uh, you know, the target's uh, database of, of clients is looking to acquire. Okay, so the most important part of any business plan is who is who's going to buy the stuff? Who is the potential customer? And That's this right. is no different. You start with, you know, so what might be if you had, say, um, two hours to work on this today and we all thought the most, uh, the biggest priority was to find out who potential buyers are, what would be a good spend of the next two hours? If we say all we've got with us is the internet and internet connection. You could Google. And what are we looking for? Yeah. For prospective uh, yeah, companies in, in your industry that could be interested in the niche that you're in. Okay, so we're basically searching all around Australia and all different you know states and, 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 and beyond. capital cities and beyond. And we're typing in the same kind of terms that people would use to find us. Mm-hmm. Who else is in our industry? We're, and we're trying to find our competitors. Uh, we're looking for news sites we're looking for um, PR announcements from competitors that have been inquiring I know one that we had one of my clients that sold a few years ago uh, in a similar type of industry what happened is that um, we got word that this particular business was going out and bolting on a lot of my clients types of businesses all around Australia and um, there was actually two national companies doing exactly the same thing or almost having a race to see who could bolt okay. on the most in the How exciting in the shortest amount of time we got mm. to a point literally where we had both pitching at us mm. um, and we were able to play one off against the other because they were they were both having a race to see who could get the most and, and there was only um, there was only a handful of decent small players in the business and we're one of them. So you're building in some sort of urgency and scarcity at the same Again, time. Again, exactly fantastic. like you would if you're trying mm. to sell motorbikes, mm. if you're trying to sell flowers, if you're That's trying to right. sell tax returns, mm. if you're trying to sell coaching services, you're trying to actually build build the desire because you've found people that really need and can benefit from what you've got. You've found a way to communicate with them in an engaging way so they understand the benefit 
and then you're creating some kind of urgency, potentially some kind of competition, you know, some kind of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And scarcity is a massive thing in, in selling businesses because there's only one of you. Yeah, it's fairly scarce. Mm. It's the better scarce as it gets. It's scarce, but uh, the, the opportunities are, are limited too. So you need to make sure that you go about it the right way. Okay, so we, we've shown here that if you can find that right buyer, you can find ways of getting a massive arbitrage upside. Now, in reality, um, the arbitrageur may do this valuation like we've done. They might say, okay, this thing's worth $6.5 million. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to reward you to the tune of $6.5 million. There's still negotiation to be done because they will know, uh, depending on that scarcity and the urgency and what their competition is, if they knew they were the only person that you had a QE's chance of selling to, mm-hmm. they would have some power. Of and so. they would know that you, that maybe if the next person was only going to pay 1.5, they're probably not going to pay you 6.5. Mm. But there are ways of, you know, there are ways of making yourself more scarce. There's ways of making it more urgent through the negotiation um, phase to make sure that you get that lion's share of that 6.5. Yeah. And again, we'll be talking a lot about negotiation and the different phases of negotiation, a few of the tips that, that um, I use with my clients. Um, to make sure that you don't give away um, more than you have to. And um, the main thing in negotiation as well is to make sure that you keep your self-esteem high because a lot of the time uh, in the negotiations I've seen, it's the the lowish self-esteem that's led to people losing hundreds if not millions, hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars because they take a pause as a rejection. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the one thing... Uh, that you have to take into, into account because everyone that's listening to this podcast at some point will be selling their business and whether it's whether you continue listening to our podcast whether you use a broker or not or or whatever my one big bit of advice is a pause is your friend mm-hmm. don't fill the pause let the other person fill the pause yeah. and you can't go wrong um, and keep the emotions under control yep yeah, so definitely have someone in the room that uh, is not emotionally involved in your business that can see um, can see the big picture so was that helpful, do you think? I think it was fantastic. Do you think we've, yeah. sh- we've shown a way that um, don't just go and use stupid rule of thumbs, don't just go and use recent sales history. We talked last podcast on why you can't compare yourself to the, the, the shop or the restaurant that's sold next door. Every business is, is totally different and it's a cop-out. And, and I, th- I think it's just to reinforce the, uh, the whole argument for really identifying what your uniqueness is in the market. Exactly. So and, and building some strength around that. Yeah, one thing you didn't mention in all that, Trevor, was uh, yeah, registering any particular IP um, yeah, that you might have built up in your business to actually make it even more powerful to somebody looking to uh, yeah. swallow you up. The worst thing, I guess, would be to give away your secrets in, in as you're pitching your business to someone else and not have protected your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Now, um, at some point, we will have an intellectual property um solicitor mm-hmm. as a special guest in this podcast because it is a very handy topic uh, no good going creating this massive value if you just um, go and give it away um, that's, so that'll be definitely a later podcast keep your eyes out for that again if you're on our on our mailing list which if you look on the right hand side of our website there at sellmybusinessin10weeks.com you'll get advanced notice of any podcasts that are about to be released uh, you'll also get some special offers that are only available to our podcast list and there's also two free reports there, which I'll quickly just mention. So when you subscribe to our list there, I'm going to give away a free business valuation report so you can see uh, the nuts and bolts of what my business valuation report looks like. 
Um, I think it's about seven or eight pages long at the moment and it goes through all my methodologies and assumptions and some real numbers in there, but I've taken the names out. Clive, you're giving away a seven uh, clues report. Uh, oh, sorry, nine, nine clues. Nine clues, yeah, don't, don't discount it, Trevor. <laughs> nine clues for uh, systemizing your business and it's, uh, it's all about obviously how to uh, put some systems into your business if you haven't really got any structure behind it at all, just so that A, you can run it well now and B, it's uh, in a much better shape to sell it. Yep, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please like us on Facebook, uh, leave a comment on our webpage, sellmybusinessin10weeks.com, and leave a comment on iTunes, that would be fantastic. Until next week, um, good luck. Clive, last word? And yes, uh, have a great week, everyone. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the sellmybusinessin10weeks.com podcast. And just remember, the advice is only generally nature. But if you are serious about selling your business, you should check out the resources page of our website where we've got videos and templates to create an awesome pitch document for your business, which you will need if you're selling. And don't forget to subscribe on our website for advanced notification and bonus materials.